Yeah, I appreciate very much uh, Connor's introduction with that song, just reminding us that, yeah, it is kind of odd to look at this story of a golden calf being formed and think, how do we possibly relate to that kind of an activity that's certainly not something that we normally see in our, uh, in our day and age? Surely not. We would never do anything similar to that at all. Um, but if we reflect honestly, we can see ourselves very clearly in a passage even, uh, even like this one. I'm going to walk through a few sections of this passage uh, that we're going over today, um, kind of one at a time. Usually we might read the whole passage at a time, but I'm going to read it throughout. So I'm going to go ahead and start our time by praying for our time in the Word. So if you'd join me. Lord, so grateful for the opportunity to study your Word, to be challenged and encouraged by... um, the text that you've given us this morning, and just thankful, Lord, that um, even as we study the people of Israel and as they prepare to enter the land and the words you spoke to them then are, are even true to us today. And so, Lord, we pray that you would apply this message to our hearts and just ask your Holy Spirit to guide and direct our time in your scripture this morning. God, we give ourselves to you. We, we do. We repent. God, we recognize even now um, that we're broken, <clears throat> that our approach to a broken world has been broken, um, and that we need you. God, we need you in every aspect and every area of our lives. And so, God, we pray uh, you would just encourage us again with that truth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so a couple of new faces in the crowd this morning. So I'm going to catch you up a little bit because we do uh, walk through Scripture a passage at a time. Uh, And so we've got a little bit of context to kind of speed up and and give to you before you get into this passage now, because it's a little bit confusing, actually. Um, We're actually in a spot in Deuteronomy where, like, if you're looking at the narrative timeline, the actual timeline of the Old Testament, uh, there's like a whole bunch of jumping around. It literally feels like you're reading a book on the movie Inception, because Moses is like skipping from one time period to another, remembering things that the Lord said, and then coming back to the context of today. And so as you read this passage, and as you hear me read this passage, uh, the the sort of time stamp on what is being said is like, at one point, we're remembering things from 40 years ago, and at one point, we're in today looking ahead to what's going to happen tomorrow. So it gets a little bit confusing. So just to remember kind of where we're at, Uh, Deuteronomy is literally called the second law. So the name Deuteronomy means the second law. It's the second giving of the law. And so Moses is going through, and so far we've seen him share the Ten Commandments and talk through that. Um, And now he's giving them some warnings uh, about their entrance into the promised land. Because right now, in the narrative, they are right at the edge of the promised land. Okay, they've Uh, the second generation has come to the edge of the promised land again. So if you remember the biblical story, uh, they come out of Egypt. The Lord rescues them out of Egypt. They get to the edge of the land one time. They send spies into the land, and 10 out of 12 of the spies say, we probably shouldn't go in there. Those guys are too big. Um, And they reject God's promised land at that time. Uh, God responds to them by saying, well, now you're going to wander 40 years in the wilderness until I give this land to your children. One year for every single day that you spent spying out the land. 
And so they did, right? They're out in this journey for 40 years. The whole generation that had existed there at the time has passed away, and now the children have raised up. And now the children are hearing the giving of this law from Moses. Once again, Moses is telling them, okay, remember, this is what I told your parents. And let me give you some cautions about going into the land. So a couple of things he said to them so far in the past couple of weeks. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, he said, listen, you know, once you get into the land, it might be easy for you to say that you, by your strength, gained this land, but that it was by the, the power of you, this people of Israel. You might well up with pride as a nation because of the property that you are now living in and say, I brought this land for myself. I have established these houses and lands. So you might remember that. And the Lord said, you know, I'm warning you right now, once you get into the land, you start building houses there, you're going to have a heart that might want to say, I did this in my strength. And God says, do not say that, for I am the one that even gives you the ability to earn wealth. I am the one that strengthens you with strength to build houses. I am the one that provides all the materials that could be used to do such things. So far be it from you to get into this land and somehow think that you were the ones that did it for yourselves. Remember all the Lord has done for you. Remember that you came out of the greatest nation on the earth at the time by my power and strength. That the walls that are going to come down before you, they don't even know that's going to happen yet, that the walls that start falling down before you are done with my hand and my power. Again, it's hard for us even to imagine the need of such a warning given the miracle, the miraculous way in which God brings the people into the land, but they needed it. And the truth is, so do we. Because so often we get onto a mountain, we have an experience with the Lord, we're just like in his presence and enjoy him. We might, be, we might have just come to know him, right? And then we find ourselves three months down the, down the road struggling with like, like try, trying to say, where are you, God? Like, well, do you not remember? Like, I was just with you. Remember how I brought you through here and here and here and here? And so he encourages them, remember that I'm the one that brought you forward. You did not do this in your own strength, but by the strength of the Lord. And then last week, he, he gave us another warning, and, and that was one that's going to carry over to today. And it's this, that uh, do not say in your hearts that is, it is because your righteousness that I brought you into the land. Uh, so first, he's warning them, don't even think that it was your strength that brought you into the land or your greatness of a nation that brought you into the land. Rather, it was me and my name. And second, don't think that I chose you because you were such a great people. In fact, I chose you because you were the least of the people. I chose you in spite of your unrighteousness and wayward hearts. It is the grace of the Lord Jesus that, uh, it was the grace of the Lord, okay, I was like jumped context there really quick, whoa, um, is the grace of the Lord that you have come into the land in this way. I mean, he's from beginning to end, so anyway, it works. Um, and so don't think that it's because of your righteousness that you have inherited the land. It is because of, rather, the righteousness of God, that God is going to establish this land for his own glory, and also for him to keep the promise he made to your fathers. He said, 
My choosing of you is based on a man that lived 400 years ago who by faith believed what I said to him would happen. It's on the promise I made to that man, Abraham, who you don't even know. This man, I'm fulfilling a promise to him and to his son and his son's son. And so don't think it's based on your righteousness because it certainly isn't. And so what we're actually looking at today is Moses in a full recollection of the unrighteousness of the people of Israel, which is just an uplifting passage to be in. (laughs) So that's our context. Uh, Deuteronomy 9, 13 to 26. Again, he's reminding the people of Israel, your righteousness did not bring you into this land, but rather God's righteousness and his promise to keep his covenant with your fathers. And so Moses, again, again, they're right at the edge of the land. He's telling them, he's reminding them, now remember, it's not your righteousness. Now remember these things, like this is what happened with you and your fathers. And so remember that your heart is also broken and your heart also can go this way. Fear the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 13 to 26. Furthermore, the Lord said to me, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stubborn people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven, and I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. So I turned and came down from the mountain, and the mountain was burning with fire. And two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands. And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made yourselves a golden calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way that the Lord had commanded you. So I took hold of the two tablets and threw them out of my hands and broke them before your eyes. So Moses, um, again, he's reminding them of what happened when they first came out of Egypt. Remember, as you came out of Egypt, this is what happened 40 years ago. We're here, we walked through the Red Sea, we provided, we got manna from heaven, like God is bringing water out of rocks, and when I go up to receive the law from a burning mountain, you make an image of a golden calf. This is how broken your heart is. And so he's reminding him of this. And Moses at the time, remembering that time 40 years ago, says to them again, Then I lay prostrate before the Lord uh, for 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all the sin that you had committed. And in doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and the hot displeasure of the Lord uh, that the Lord bore against you, so that he was ready to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me that time also. And the Lord was so angry with Aaron that he was ready to destroy him. And I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. And then I took the sinful thing, the calf that you had made, and burned it with fire and crushed it, grinding it very small, until it was as fine as dust. And I threw the dust into the brook that ran down from the mountain. At Terabah also, and at Massa, and Kibbereth Hatvah, you provoked the Lord to wrath. And when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and take possession of the land that I've given you, then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God, and did not believe him or obey his voice. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. So I lay prostrate before the Lord 40 days and 40 nights, because the Lord had said he would destroy you. And I prayed, O Lord God, do not destroy your people, your heritage, whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand. 
Again, the passage gets confusing because in your Bibles it probably says the golden calf, but really this is the recollection of all the sins of the people of Israel at this time. Again, they've just been miraculously brought out of the greatest nation on earth, and their sins are already stacking up against them. Yeah, the golden calf is one that he focuses on through this, but he's also talking about Massa and Terabah and Kibrath Hatva. These places where they cried out because they didn't have enough food, because they didn't have enough water, because they didn't uh, like the conditions that they were walking into. And finally, when they came to Kadesh Barnea, that is right before they got into the land the first time, he says, you're ready to take possession and you rejected it and rebelled against the commandment of the Lord and did not believe or obey his voice. Moses cried out for this people, and he, you know, just again, imagine Moses' context himself, like personally Moses' context, right? Forty years he grows up in Pharaoh's house, and at the end of 40 years he realizes, okay, like, my people are enslaved in this nation. The people that, that I was born to, they're, they're a great people, but they're enslaved here. And to do something about it, he, he sees injustice happening and, and takes revenge in a way that he probably ought not to have done. And he's run off by his people saying, you're just like them. Get out of here. What do you know about our condition? You were raised in Pharaoh's house. And so for 40 years, he himself is separated from his people, wondering, like, what do I do with myself? I'm a, I'm a lost man. Like, my people is enslaved in a nation. I can't even associate with them. Just think about the wandering that's going on in his head for 40 years as he's in Midian. The Lord is gracious to him and appears to him and calls him to again go back. Could you imagine getting the call from God after being sent away, like ostracized by your entire nation? Get out of here, man. And for God to say, yeah, you need to go back. It's time to go back. And I'm going to speak to you. Not through your hand, but through my hand, I'm going to bring them out. And through your voice, it's going to be done. So, obediently, you go. And imagine, like, Moses, again, gets there, and all these things start happening. The plagues, right? Like, he's like, all right, Lord, you want me to do what? Put my staff down in front of Pharaoh, and it's going to turn to a snake and eat all of his staff? Like, (laughs) frogs are going to inhabit the land? Like, the firstborn of all Israel is going to die? Like, could you imagine Moses experiencing this at 80 years old? And thinking, okay, here it is. Like, he's, he finally is going to let us go. And here you are coming out of Egypt, this people. And thinking, oh, what a great thing. All these people are going to come out. And the Lord's going to do something amazing. And they go through the sea. And when they get to the other side of the sea, the people are this people, this rebellious people. So that's what he's reminding himself of, thinking of as he tells them, don't think it's your righteousness, guys. I've seen your righteousness, It looks like seeing the hand of God move so powerfully and then the very next day rebelling against him and crying out and saying, God, where is your provision? How are you going to help me? He's like, wait, did you see the movie I just saw? Like, were you there when we walked through the water? I'm like, could you imagine just being Moses at that point? 
And then to walk again with this generation 40 years and see all your peers pass away one by one by one by one, all your peers, knowing that at the end of that time, you're not going to go into the land you've been told about. That's where Moses' heart is right now, when he's just pleading with them, praying before them, saying, please, please, cling to the Lord. Fear the Lord. Not only should you remember the power of the Lord and how he brought you out and provided for you, but you also should remember the grace of the Lord over and over and over again when you betrayed him. I mean, think about Massa. They cry out for water because there's no water. They actually are complaining against Moses so hard they want Moses prosecuted to death. That's kind of the tone. And instead of that happening, God tells Moses to strike the rock and water comes forth. They didn't deserve that. That is the grace and mercy of the Lord. So as he's pleading with them, he's saying, listen, do not think it's your righteousness. This has always been God's righteousness that has been bringing you forward. And on top of that, it's been the Lord's grace in spite of your brokenness that he has brought you forward and forward. So Moses here is just distraught. He's remembering this time of pleading for 40 days that the Lord would spare his people. And so he's retelling this story to them again, saying... Remember the goodness and mercy of the Lord. And so as he's telling that story to them of the golden calf, he like spins out and says, and remember Terabah and Massa and Kibroth and Kardath Barnea. Remember all these ways in which God has been so gracious to you. For you have been rebellious since the day I knew you, but the Lord has been gracious So he recalls again, verses 26 to 29. And so I prayed to the Lord, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your heritage from you, of whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not regard with stubbornness this people and the wickedness of their sin, lest the land from which you brought us say, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land, that he promised them. And because he hated them, he brought them out to put them to death in the wilderness. For they are your people and your heritage, whom you brought out by your great power and by your outstretched arm. You see this amazing pleading from Moses crying out to the Lord for his mercy and grace on this people. And you can see even Moses' heart becoming a little bit more like the Lord's heart for this people. Please spare them. It was never about them in the first place. It's always been about you. So Lord, have your glory and save them still. That your heritage and your great power would continue forward. That your grace would be demonstrated. You see in this moment, the grace of the Lord uh, just be sitting on Moses and his compassion for this people in spite of what Moses has seen them do time and time again. 
And again, the response from the Lord is so powerful. Moses comes down, he's remembering this golden calf scenario again, and he comes down from the mountain, right, and throws the tablets on and crushes them. Could you imagine, like, doing that? <laughs> like, being Moses, okay? You've got the tablets that have been written on by the finger of God on the fiery mountain. And you're taking them down to the people of God, which you've helped lead out by the hand of the Lord. And these tablets that the Lord wrote on with, like, lightning strikes in his finger, you know? Like, you didn't, you didn't chisel it out. Like, it just appeared by the power of God, and you throw them down. I mean, as they're going out, you're thinking, should I have done that? I think I should have done that. Pretty sure they deserve this. Um, and, and, have it, and, and have it just fly and crush. And so when Moses cried out to the Lord on their behalf and was up again on the mountain, this is what the Lord did. Chapter 10, verses 1 and following. At that time, the Lord said to me, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first and come up to me on the mountain and make an ark of wood. And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets that you broke, and you shall put them in that ark. So I made an ark of acacia wood and I cut two tablets of stone just like the first and went up the mountain with the two tablets in my hand. And he wrote on the tablets in the same writing as before the Ten Commandments that the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of assembly. And the Lord gave them to me. And then I turned and came down from the mountain and put the tablets in the ark that I had made. And there they are, as the Lord commanded me. God is gracious beyond what we deserve. After crushing tablets of stone, I mean, did they need the tablets of stone? What is God demonstrating to us that he would again give them to us? Saying, yeah, I've seen you break my covenant but it's my covenant. And I'm going to give you another chance. <clears throat> so Moses goes up, receives these second tablets and puts them in the box and you know, again, the Lord wrote on them again. A second time. It's like one thing to see at one time, but like that's never going to happen again, right? But again, I got you. <clears throat> it's hard, again, to fathom like... We read these stories of Israel, and this one in particular with Moses kind of reflecting on the brokenness of this people, and we think, man, I never, I would never be that way. Like if I saw the hand of God write on tablets from a fiery mountain, I mean, there's no way that I would reject that. I would not, definitely not build a calf and worship it while that happens. I would definitely, like I would never do such a thing. I mean, if I went through the Red Sea and came out the other side, I would definitely not ask for God's provision when I got to the desert. I wouldn't be doubting him, for sure. You know, I would never doubt God's provision if, if I had gone through such miraculous times. <clears throat> but if we read a passage like this and 
begin to cast judgment upon the people of Israel and how they respond to the miracles of God, we miss it. We miss it entirely. We miss the whole point of it. Because you know and I know, if you're honest with yourself, you've seen God's provision miraculously show up in your life. Chiefly when he came to you the first time, if you're a believer, and showed his grace to you in his son, Jesus Christ. You remember that moment today. You remember how powerful it was. You remember, like, right before it, uh, you know, your way of thinking was one of, like, I can do this on my own. I'm going to make it to whatever is next on my own. And then all of a sudden, you're like, I can never do this on my own. I need Jesus. Like, there is no other hope for me but the Son, Jesus Christ, dying on my behalf. You remember that transition in your life if you're a believer. It was a powerful moment. You can testify to it. And I love, you know, kind of a rhythm in our family is that when we meet a new believer or when we meet a fellow Christian, we always ask, like, what's your testimony? How did you come to know the Lord? It's a, a, a practice that my wife has put in place so regularly. And it's so awesome to see the diversity of testimony, but also the similarity. God showed up and showed me grace that I didn't deserve. And so then the second question's a little harder. Um, so quickly, you know, we, 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 we all have that experience. We've seen the Lord show up. But it's so easy for us to quickly stop trusting God for provision and rather trust the work of our own hands. We forget so easily and so quickly, all the things that the Lord has done. If we're not careful, we start looking at our circumstances and trying to fix them ourselves instead of remembering that God is the one every single time has been faithful to provide. So I have no right, I have no standing to be anxious about what God has brought into my life. Because every single time I've come up against circumstances or issues or, or hard times, the Lord has been there. And so far be it from us to read a passage like this and look at a people like this and say, oh, I would never, I would never doubt the Lord's provision. I would never, I mean, I mean, it was like, you know, all these plagues and the Red Sea and the water. Like, I would never doubt the Lord after seeing that firsthand. Well, you have it firsthand. And yet we still do time after time, turn to our own hands. It, it doesn't look like a golden calf, you know, plated over a wood, you know, a piece of wood. Um, but it does look like us not trusting God and rather trusting ourselves. Too often we trust ourselves with our finances too often we trust ourselves with our relationships. Too often we trust ourselves with our house. Too often we trust ourselves with our job. Too often we trust only in ourselves. Too often we trust ourselves with our sin. I don't need any help. I'll get this. I'm going to do it on my own strength. The Lord has done so much for me. I just need to do this myself for him. Nope, 
so quickly in everything we do, we are so fast to come, with a, come up with our solution rather than God's provision. I resonate with the wilderness story because I think uh, God has us in the wilderness. There's some perspectives of like, okay, you could think, uh, yeah, the Lord has paid for my eternity now, and so I've got eternity, and I can have comfort in that. But also, the Lord has you here. So like, what God has done for you has already been completed, but it's not yet finished. And I don't understand that statement, but I don't have to. I can very clearly see that I live in a broken world and that I myself am broken. And so what, right? What am I going to depend on in a broken world where I am broken? Am I going to depend on my own strength to solve my problems, or am I going to depend on the Lord? We absolutely live in a world that is lacking. Everything is lacking. And continually, we're striving to make things more efficient and better. And every time we strive to make an improvement, turns out it still is not great. I saw this picture this week, and I, okay, I'm actually considering buying like an electric mower for my lawn, so I'm not against electric tools and things and advancements in that. But it is funny when you see an electric charging station that's powered by a diesel motor like in the same parking spot. Have you seen this? <laughs> it's like diesel motor powering electric power. All right. <laughs> These are the solutions we've come up with as humanity. This is good. We live in a time that is lacking and broken and we try and solve it. But, you know, the more we try and solve it, the more problems we start making. And so when are we going to turn from trying to figure out things our own way and turn to the Lord? Again, every area of life for us as believers needs this. When you're caught in a pattern of sin, you better not be trusting in yourself because it's yourself that got you there. It's that moment most particularly where you need to be seeking the Lord. And rather than wallowing in the guilt that the evil will pour on you, strive to have faith in the Lord. One of the key components of, I have a sort of a discipleship framework that I work with, and I've talked about it sometimes, like some shape, life shapes. And one of them is a circle that we constantly go through in life as Christians. And it's just this, repent and believe. You are going to come up against a circumstance where you are tempted to either trust yourself or trust the Lord. And when you trust yourself instead of the Lord, the worst thing you can do is keep trusting yourself. The first thing you need to do is repent and then believe again. It's the gospel over and over again in your life. It doesn't stop when you come to know Jesus the first time. It continues. You continue to place your faith in the Lord. You continue to trust him. The people of Israel weren't saved when Pharaoh let them out of Egypt. They had to continue to have faith in the Lord when they came up against a sea, when they came up against a desert, when they came up against no food. The same is true for us as believers. You know the Lord has worked in your life. That doesn't mean you stop trusting him. Every time you come up against a circumstance, you trust him. When there's lack and brokenness, you trust him. 
When it's been at your hands, you repent and believe again in the Lord Jesus. When it's been in the hands of a broken world, you trust that God has got you there for a purpose and he's going to do something great because he always has and he always will. So here they stand at the edge of the promised land again, this second generation that has come out of Egypt. And the Lord is imploring them, and Moses is pleading with them desperately, do not, please, O people, do not. When you get into this land and all the people have been moved out of it on your behalf by the power and strength of the Lord, do not think it was because of your righteousness that I did that. but rather it's because of my grace and mercy that I wanted to display to all the nations that I did that on your behalf. In spite of your stubbornness, in spite of your weakness, I reached out to you and saved you. And so the same challenge comes to us. We're striving to move forward in our faith. All of us, we're striving to see where God has us and what purpose he has for us. Far be it from us when we improve our circumstance or go forward in our life purpose or whatever, whatever it is that you're you know, going after, that we get there and turn around and say, look at what I did. Because at that moment, we've built a calf. We've fashioned it with gold and we've cut it to our own perfection, and we put it on display for all the world to see. It's amazing, really, because when you step back and see the bigness of God and what the people of Israel did, I mean, the calf, we think, was like, I don't know, like that big. Like I could hold it. that like blow your mind that like after all the Lord has done they're like oh here are the gods that go before us and Moses is like you've got to be kidding me he's like I'll show you what I can do with that piece of gold I can do with that piece of gold I'm going to crush it so hard that I'm going to put it into ground pieces and throw it in the water this is how weak and feeble this thing that you've trusted in but the same is true for us if we build up a kingdom on our own strength, it's as weak as this little calf. So do not trust in your own righteousness, but rather trust in a God who has done this for you by his great power, by his outstretched arm, for the glory of his heritage and the building of his people. It is God who has brought us to where we are, not by our righteousness, but by our faith in, in Jesus and what he's accomplished for us, in spite of us, and for his glory. May we be careful that we not worship anything other than God, our provider. May we not worship our houses, our jobs, 
our children, our cars, our fame, our bank account. May we not worship these things. They are but dust. Rather, may we continue to give them back to the Lord and bless the Lord's name with them. It's the reason God has called the people of Israel and has called us too to take all that he blesses us with and bless him. And think about the Sabbath. We trust God with our time. I take time out of a seven-day week to just rest and be with the Lord. That's a recognition that God is above my time. Tithes. The reason we tithe is that we trust God with our money. Say, God, you've given me all this money. You've given it me to steward. I trust you with all of it because all of it is yours. That's why we tithe. Prayer. Why would you go through spiritual disciplines on a daily basis? Why would you read your Bible and pray? Because God, you've given me this day. You've given it to me. And I recognize that by setting aside time to say, Lord, this is your day. Have with it as you will. Teach me, Lord, what you want to teach me today. These things, these practices that we do, they're not to build up our righteousness. They're in recognition of God's righteousness, of God's provision, of God's leading in our life. And so when we talk about, you know, doing those things, don't think, oh, I got to stack up all these deeds to be a good Christian. No, far be it from that, because that too can become a calf of gold if you don't simply recognize that God has given this stuff to me, this time, this treasure, these talents, and I give it back to him, not in recognition of my greatness, but rather in recognition of his greatness and his mercy to me, a sinner. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful that in spite of our brokenness, you came down and died on a cross for us. We don't deserve it. We shudder that you would even do such a thing so scandalous. God, far be it from us that we look at the people of Israel with judgment and say, oh no, we would never do such a thing. Rather, give us the humility, Lord, to be repentant over the things in our life that we have made into idols. It is such a blessed thing, Lord, to to trust in you and to know that everything that you give is for your glory. It takes away all the pressure to know that you're our provider and that you're faithful. God, we repent of, of thinking that it's in our hands. We repent of thinking that we ought to stack up success for our name. We repent of thinking that our heritage, our name is so important. We repent of putting our kids 
up as idols before us. God, we repent of trying to conquer sin on our own behalf, in our own way. God, we repent because we are broken and lacking. And we confess that we are in need of you, that every day we need you. More and more we need you. And it is not weakness to say so. It is wisdom and strength to trust in the Creator. It is foolishness to trust in the things that we can create that will be crushed to dust. And so, Lord, far be it from us that we would do such a thing. Rather, in every circumstance, in every way, Lord, we give you the glory and the praise and trust you with every moment. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.